You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. From the Super Bowl to Broadway's biggest hits, Damien Bazadona has led digital marketing efforts for some of the world's leading brands. He's the founder of the digital advertising agency Situation Interactive. He's a speaker the co-creator of TEDx Broadway, a thought leader, and a philanthropist. Damien has been working with the stakeholders on Broadway, in the entertainment space, and with charities to help navigate pre- and post-pandemic marketing efforts. I'm thrilled to have him here today to discuss philanthropy, Broadway's past, present, and future, and incorporating cause marketing into brands. Damien, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Thank you for having me, Jan. We're buddies, so this is really fun to be able to have this chat with you. Uh, You are such an inspirational guy on so many levels, professionally and personally, and you inspire me. You're a person who is of service to so many, and I just wondered, like, how do you integrate your core personal values into your company's core mission? Well, uh, well, first off, I have to just, if I can give you a compliment back, I think (laughs) it's this podcast is awesome. And the fact that you spend time to sort of bring people up to talk about giving back into the industry and philanthropy, I, I don't know of one that exists for this industry. So I think it's awesome that you do it. So oh, I just want to say that out loud. Thank you. Um, I don't, I've been doing this for so long that it's just part, I've been doing this, may be 20 years in business. So the way I incorporate my own life into the business, it's hard to kind of separate me from the business because I, I started it. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, and more people joined and more people joined over the years. That is like anyone in your job. Everyone kind of embodies who they are in their work in some way, shape, or form. And my work happens to be the company at large. So for me, it's always been very natural um, just to kind of be who you are. And so, and I've learned a lot along the way. I I mean, obviously, I've grown, I've matured, I've seen things from entirely different perspectives. I've become hopefully less self-centered. But yeah, it's kind of just who I am. I don't know. You just kind of, I show up to work. I've I've taken one sick day in 20 years. I just show up every day. 
Well, you show up every day in person, but you sh- or digitally, um, but you also show up every day from a, a giving point of view and from a charitable place too. And your company, you know, really focuses on that. In addition to doing the marketing efforts for so many brands and so many um, Broadway shows, so I think that's that's really significant because I know in your real life, in your personal life, you are that kind of person, and you've really made your company that kind of company. And not a lot of people are successful managing to do both. And you, you have. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I would say I, I've considered myself extraordinarily lucky and on so many ways in life. Um, but you know, particularly as it relates to Broadway, I have no background in Broadway. I didn't go to Broadway shows growing up. I was, I just wasn't exposed to that. And I, I, you know, sometimes you just get a lucky break, right place, right time. I fall into the industry and as long as I've been in the industry where my, you, you, you I'm sure you know, my own personal, you know, uh, philanthropy is really geared towards opening doors for people, opening access. Because I was one of those people, one of those kids. I, I came into business when I was probably 23, 24. It's fairly young. Um, where I just kind of saw what, how amazing it could be when you're exposed to it. So I could just, I am just so fortunate to be in this business still 20 years. People are still allowing me to hang out and mm-hmm. come to meetings and do things like that. Um, I find myself, I, I, it's, I'm fortunate for. And through those 20 years, I realized how many people don't have the ability to either work in the industry or even go to experience live shows uh, or arts and cultural experiences, which, you know, I didn't really know because I wasn't in it. And and other than being the person that wasn't attending to these shows, you start to see the, the scale of how many people are kind of left out of the tent, um, which is a solvable problem, which is, which um, I'm sure hopefully we get a chance, to, we'll talk through a little bit, but I think it's a very solvable problem for Broadway is how do we expand the tent? Exactly. But before we expand tents and talk about that, which I do want to talk about, can you just talk to me about how you created situation? And you said you hadn't grown up with Broadway in your in your life. How did this all come about? Because I don't think I even know the answer to this question. I, I mean, I just, I, um, how did it come about? It's just such one of those things. It's just right place, right time. I learned how to be a, um, I learned how to build websites just my friend saying, Hey, you should go learn about this building websites while I was in college. And I just kind of picked it up and learned how to essentially build websites. Mm. And, uh, I had another company with a couple other business partners before this. I started very young. Like I, I was probably 22 when I joined in, like me and two partners had a, a company. I did it for a year. I learned a lot. And, um, at the time, and, and I, I, I don't know, actually, I don't think you remember this, but you, you know, you and I crossed paths in one of my first projects where, um, I had first, uh, Ben Mordecai was a producer that really, brought me into the fold along with a gentleman named David Risley, mm-hmm. um, who's recently passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I just kind of, you know, just right, literally right place. They needed someone to build a website and work on a project and we worked together. And so I, my first show I worked on was King Headley. I was kind of a one man band where I'd build the website, do the marketing, do the advertising, the promotion. I worked on then Flower Drum Song. Um, I was introduced to the league and you were a part of that with mm-hmm. doing uh, the development. You guys were building IBDB. Right. Um, uh, yeah, IBDB. And uh, I just got involved with that. And then just kind of one thing sort of led to the next to the next. I, I just have no, and I spend a lot of time um, speaking with students. That's where uh, the other, you know, public education is a big, another big lane for me. Public education, the arts is the intersection of my passion. Um, and I just tell people, you just don't know. I didn't, I didn't go to school for this. You kind of just sign it, kind of end up in places if you're passionate about it. 
Yeah, I you know I I do want to say it was so sad to hear about David Risley and oh, he crazy. was sort of a, a guy before his time. You know he he had crazy ideas about virtual reality back in two thousand, and we were talking to IBM about building this website for Broadway and David's you know his his mind was so expansive and people didn't understand at that time like what it, what was possible. I think, but it was very sad to hear about his power. Yeah. He brought, I mean, way too, or, yeah, I'm going to say way too young is an understatement. Um, yeah, he kind of brought me into the fold. Uh, um, it is weird to think how far we go back. Um, and I do remember yes. you. So so you developed situation, you created Situation Interactive. And yeah. basically, you just started growing the business and hiring people. And more people started hiring you to do their their digital marketing. And you do digital marketing for a lot of Broadway shows, but a lot yeah. of other entertainment properties and a lot of 501c3s right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah, as our business is split, uh, there's really two core sectors of it. So I grew up in arts and entertainment in theater. So working on, I went from like King Headley to Flower Drum Song and like just going after that. And we've worked on over 200 Broadway shows at this point since I've, since I've launched the company. Um, and then, so then it expanded a little bit. And then we started doing a lot of, you could tell the related businesses. So then we now work with, you know, BAM, for example, and other major performing arts centers uh, across the country. Um, and then we started working on museums and cultural institutions. So we have a, a big part of our business is arts and cultural experiences. On the other side of our business is kind of cause, nonprofit, and education. Um, so for, we are the digital marketing agency for Meals on Wheels America, uh, No Kid Hungry. And, and our job is essentially to kind of move people to action with either donations um, or some level of, of supporting kind of uh, volunteerism, activism, whatever that may be. What unifies it I feel like I'm in the business of moving passionate communities to action. That's the whole business is structured on the idea. And digital is obviously an extraordinarily powerful way to do that, in, in, which is only getting stronger and stronger. You know, with, in my day job at the Charity Network, so this is where we're, we're connected, um, you know, obviously we're helping um, celebrities and we're helping 501c3s, same thing, generate awareness and, and, and fundraise. And I'd love to take a deeper dive into that whole idea with you. Um, and, you know, diversification in fundraising is so important. You need your high-level donors. You need your event-based fundraising. You get your grants. Um, but the grassroots fundraising is super important and becoming, as you just said, even more important. And most of that now is being done digitally. So I wondered if you could just give us some examples of the work you've done for some of these charities um, in the digital space and how it works. Well, I think uh, I, you know, I'll give one. I'll give an example that I think just kind of summarizes it all. And by the way, this is a very similar example to what we do in the arts and entertainment space. Like it's, it, it's really just what's considered high touch. I'm really a tremendous proponent. I think we live in a world where everything is so fleeting. Where the emails we get, I mean, we get bombarded with everything, and it's hard sometimes to feel anything, right? And what digital is really great at, which I think it, it is, is kind of this automation. Right, you could you could do things ten times the speed we're able to do, and what gets lost in that shuffle is humanity, half the time. And I think it's a big one. So you know, for you know, for No Kid Hungry, for example, there was a, a a sizable campaign where, in exchange, as people were giving, and whether that through donation or some version of again, like through like some digital activism, mm -hmm. um, there were specific call outs to those people in video snippets, giving a warm thank you for your support. It's literally just that kind of custom look you in the eyes. Now, a lot of it's happening virtually, but mm -hmm. a moment to say, thank you, Jan, for your support. Thank, like, and sometimes I think we've, we see the same thing, mind you, in arts and entertainment with like, we, we worked on the campaign for Dear Evan Hansen. And Dear Evan Hansen, that is a perfect campaign of all like, it's super high touch. 
where instead of just sending an email to a million people saying one thing is, is literally touching each individual as best we can, whenever possible with a custom message saying, thank you, or here's something specifically for you. Mm. And it's that kind of high touchness. And I think the brands that are going to be very successful understand how to leverage the efficiency of kind of the automation and the reach of technology with the high touch ability that can that can happen right now. And by the way, I think it's funny, we're in this virtual space and a lot of people think virtual is cold. Like, um, uh, you know, Zoom is a cold thing. Anything could be warm. Mm. It's what effort you put into it. You could do some remarkable warm things through, uh, you know, digital um, that you could that you that you honestly couldn't do in person prior at the scale you could do. So, all that to say, I, that's really the uh, most of the campaigns we try to do is try and inject that kind of warmth into the engagement. I think that's how you get the most of people. Most people give you see you you know probably all your work at um, in your organization like. A lot of times it just gets lost. Mm -hmm. It just gets lost the warmth and, and the impact of where the efforts are going. And I feel like that one-to-one, -one, people are jonesing it. People are jonesing to be heard, seen, and connected. And I think that triggers the donation. That's what ultimately drives. Yeah, I mean, on, on my side, you know, our, our most successful campaigns ever have been where a celebrity or an organization, you know, I'll use Lynn Miranda because he's Broadway and because he's our most successful campaign we've ever done. Um, you know, he he creates a video or, or several videos and he just reaches out to people and genuinely acknowledges them, thanks them, tells them what's going on. And he's so authentic about it. So I think this idea of combining the high touch, high tech is really possible. Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's a, it's a, a different example. But so I, I went to university at Albany. I went to a two-year school first called you know, Cobleskill College and then went to university at Albany. And, I, and I'm very active in my campus uh, at Albany. And uh, But the business school had asked me, uh, what would you, they were talking about building out a whole part of their kind of the technology, right? Of like, what are things we should be doing for our students? We want to have, um, we want to have an impact with them. And so we're talking about whether we put iPads and all this technology stuff. And I said, honestly, you wanted the strongest impact for your students. I said, as, as the dean, why don't you shake every person's hand that's in the business school? Mm -hmm. It's an achievable number. It's in the hundreds. I said, why don't you just, if, if you just shook every person's hand and went over them and brought them in for five minutes, that's probably the strongest return on investment you could possibly get off those handshakes of showing people you care. It's not about the technology. The technology is going to figure itself out. Somewhere along the line, people are looking for like a magic bullet to something where it's just human. Like it's so lost. Mm -hmm. It really does. And especially the higher up people get, the more disconnected they are from their audience. Right. And especially this last year with the pandemic, I think that's been a perfect example of ways where people have had that high touch in the high tech world, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people do talk about Zoom being so cold, but I find that, um, yes, I mean, you have a lot of business meetings with Zoom and it gets yeah. kind of blurry eyed. But at the same time, I've connected with so many friends and family over this past year in such meaningful ways doing exactly this you know, talking yeah. through Zoom. And you can combine, so my birthday was uh, March 12th. And so my staff, a, everyone sent a stack of cards. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's this kind of world with individuals, right? And they're all stacked in one bunch. I got like mm -hmm. 30, you know, like a whole bunch of cards at one time. And it's kind of like, I see them virtually, but then there's like these physical, it's just, I, to me, I've always, and listen, I'm in a digital business. That's my whole life is centered on this idea. I'm a just believer of be thoughtful. If it's digital, great. If it's analog, great. It's no different. Digital just has the ability, I think, to amplify things in exciting ways. But it, it still requires, it gets, gets lost half the time, it requires a thoughtfulness of what are you actually trying to achieve, not can this tool do that thing. 
right? It's no. And it's also not how many people can it touch, but how can it touch those people, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, no. It's, and and I, I've come to learn that in my advocacy, uh, my own personal advocacy efforts where, you know, uh, as, so Situation Project is my baby mm-hmm. on our 501c3 side. And, and it's all centered on this idea of opportunity, quality for arts education for students. And when I started that, it was, you know, centered on how do we essentially bring arts education to places that were kind of um, access to the arts to places that weren't uh, getting it. But in the beginning, I was like, we're going to hit a million students. I was just like, I was in the reach game when I first started it saying, we need to hit a million students. And the more I get into it, the more I start seeing it, you start realizing it's in, from my own point of view, I was like, it's not really about reach. It's about depth oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And as a marketer, I'm often hardwired to go reach. You're just hardwired to go, how many people did you get? You know, what did you, you know? And and as the, the more I spend time in it, the more I say to myself, oh, this is about depth. And the more, how many students can I have a real impact on, not how many can I have a kind of impact on? So. I want to go back to Situation Project in a second, but I just sure. want to ask one more question just about that whole idea of, um, of fundraising and digital marketing for charities. What's your opinion about that? You got to spend money to make money, and how that relates to five hundred one c threes who have a predisposition to not spending a lot of money. Um, for example, in advertising and marketing. I think it really depends. I, so I'll tell you here's why. Because I feel like I do believe you need to spend money to make money. The question is, is where do you spend that money? And I think one of the things that's often completely malnourished is the is the relationship of the donor of the existing donor. And sometimes I think it gets lost. It's like we want the next one. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is a pattern that happens in theater. They've already see, they've already bought a ticket, Damien. We need new ticket buyers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that doesn't give us a right to not. It, it seems counterintuitive to then not spend more attention and more investment into the people that are already in the theater to say we care about you because you're going to come back. And you're going to tell five other people. And so I think it's kind of the same. We see the same thing on the donor side, right? And so what happens is you have a pot of money and you're going to choose where am I going to spend that pot of money? Am I going to spend that pot of money on the awareness side? I'm going to put it in advertising and prospecting new people. But you can equally equally take that same pot of money and say, I'm going to invest in better technology so I can create stronger relationships and manpower that I want to put towards this to spend more time in my current donor base to make them feel more part of the cause that we're working on. And so it, it, to me, it, I usually believe there's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, I think that just gets lost. It depends on how the, the, the as you, I'm sure you know, just in your universe, kind of how the nonprofit and the cause is, is staffed. I mean, it's just, it's, um, so each one is very unique, but I look at it differently. I am in the camp though. You need to spend money and this, you need to put resources if you want to see an impact. And, and I think earned media can get you very far, but it's almost like that, it's kind of that flywheel. The more you have people vested interest in the success of it and caring about it and the deeper relationships, the more exciting it could be. And, and I think you'll see more of return. I will say the biggest opportunity right now, to me, undoubtedly, is we've just came out of, you know, we, no, I'm not saying we came out of the pandemic. I'm saying over the past year, mm-hmm. we have leapfrogged a, a decade in people's capabilities and understanding and comfort in virtual platforms connecting in ways they would never thought of before, like at all ages. That's what's kind of amazing. Right. At, at, at a massive scale. And so now for nonprofit and cause groups, they now can enrich and engage large audiences of people in warm ways like this, whether it's something as simple as a webinar or one-on-one or relationship at a scale and a cost never thought of before that. And 
that's remarkable. It is remarkable. And the creativity has also accelerated, right? People yes. come up with ideas of doing things um, virtually that are just so mind-blowing. So a lot of good has come out of the last year when it comes to to that whole concept of reaching out and talking to your people or getting new people. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you find that the charities are. Um are willing to sort of invest and spend that money. And do you do that through like paid advertising or, or how do you, how do you reach, how do you reach the donors and how do you reach new donors? Yeah. So th- the short answer is post pandemic. Yes. During the, pa- I hate to say, hate to say post pandemic during the pandemic. Yes. Ho- hopefully there will be post pandemic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, no, definitely. Yes. And it comes places in different ways. One is advertising outreach and promotion. And if there's fuel on a fire, yes, they'll spend money on like outreach. And because it depends on really the need. Listen, I think it depends on, it really depends on the cause we're talking about. Child hunger is a massive issue as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And you can clearly see there's an interest and in people want to do something. So there's a spark, there's an understanding, there's an urgency. And so there's certain ones that make a little bit more sense to be, you can essentially either spend money against or engage in in some way, shape or form. Um, I would say the other major one is, is thinking about, think of all the galas that normally happen. So mm-hmm. we're seeing a significant number of the galas be re, uh, reinvented. We've produced a significant number of galas. We're doing a lot of this for nonprofits and they're treating them as used to just be an event for the select few to an experience for the many. And if you do it correctly, it's the first step of a long donor journey in which you can now bring people into your tent in really exciting ways. And and gals were never thought of that way, right? It was like, right. we need to satisfy this moment. And now it's putting a whole new spin and a set of thinking that's required on this is the gal is one beat of many beats with this new audience. So to me, that's extremely I- exciting. I think, again, I think you're gonna see more of it. We're so early on the learning curve and the knowledge curve of virtual events, the consumers there, the brands, like a lot of people have been in financial duress. There's so many things as to why. So I feel like Zoom is like the, I don't know, I think the rotary phone, mm-hmm. right? And think mm-hmm. of the iPhone of what's possible. Mm-hmm. You got 5G coming. You have all these different, I'm the, what I've been spending my time on, I was at South by Southwest this week virtually. And you could just see the, the, the connectivity speed, the hardware speed, the stuff you can do now to wow people virtually is like Zoom is, that's, everyone's like, Damien, Zoom's not going to, you know, replace that. I'm like, no one ever said that. That's crazy. That's like saying the rotary phone is the answer. Mm-hmm. It's like we're in the beginning. And if you think of it that way, and, and again, the tremendous differences, the consumer is already there. That's the difference. Right. The consumer is there. We're They're present. there. And, and you, like you said, consumers of all ages, yeah. right? And all backgrounds and all demographics. Um, yeah, it's an exciting time. And I have to say for um, Charity Buzz, which is one of the companies within the charity network, again, they were, you know, we were, 
poised to like put on these, we, we do virtual auctions, right? We do yeah. online digital, you know, auctions for, for galas. So we were in a good place also to do that and to help people fundraise during this time. Um, but I want to go back to Situation Project. Um, so uh, we share this passion about arts education and, and access to the arts. Also, with many of my other guests, um, I talk to them about what's important and this idea of access to the arts, access to Broadway shows. Um, what's the mission for Situation Project, and 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 you know where where have you been and where you think you're going with that? Yeah, no. I, so to me, it's again, it's opportunity quality for arts education. So I'm a public school kid my entire life. So I'm super passionate about this. And I feel like let's if we just take a beat and saying, what does Broadway, what does Broadway want to do? And during the pandemic, there's been a moment that says, listen, our stages, our crews, our cast, everyone part of this community needs to be reflective of the larger community we serve, right? We just we just aren't currently. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? From every every slice you look at it, it's just not. And so where are we going to find? How are we going to get there? I look at it. I'm like, well, the public education system is the best place to possibly look for it. Remarkably talented people in our own backyard. And um, and I feel like, so the Situation Project started with just basic math. Like I have no, it's not like I have any background in philanthropy as much as to say we, and you see the same numbers that I see, Broadway leaves 2 million seats empty every single year. Prior, this is prior to all this stuff. Mm -hmm. 2 million seats every year, consistently. And here I am, and the more you do research on the arts education front, you'll see how arts education in New York City public schools, particularly underserved, it's like the first to go. They don't have access to arts and fun. Meanwhile, they live eight, they're part of our community. Right. We have a moral responsibility, never mind a business a business opportunity to it all. So more responsibility to help our community. So here you have no arts education and you have 2 million empty seats. You're kind of going, okay, so let's bridge those. So Situation Project stepped in that said, well, now we know that these seats are going to go empty. And how can we create a model where we subsidize reduced cost tickets significantly um, for the schools to be able to attend? I do not charge the students. We just don't, not in our schools. And so we're small. We're, we're you know, we're three schools. And by design, we focused on, we want to say on three schools with three middle schools, which is our entering our 10th year doing it. We just crossed something like 30,000 student experiences. And um, we use it as kind of designed to be kind of a microcosm of just trying to sh shine light on the opportunity. And our hope is others will come along and really make a way bigger impact. Um, and we're really trying to test the impact. My, the, where we're trying to go in the future is how can I prove that impact, like the exposure to impact? And that's really where I'm trying to take it in the future. Um, but but generally that's the that's been the, the plan and and so so how the way it tactically plays out is we bring the entire school sixth grade it's six seventh and eighth grade well the sixth graders go um, they'll go see Phantom for example and then after Phantom they'll do like a talk back Phantom is amazing the producers of Phantom Seth and everyone over there amazing to say oh we'll do a talk back with the kids right so each student in that school. We'll do two experiences a year of just that. And then we create custom experience throughout where sometimes we'll send the cast up to the show, up to the school mm -hmm. and perform there. We've done some pretty over the top things, mm -hmm. um, all to create a relationship. The huge difference is, is everyone in the school attends. It is a school event. So the school often will, will have, sometimes they shut down, um, but it's not just like the high performing kids. It's all kids, kids with special needs, whatever we can do, um, which I really admire the principals for that. We also bring the entire staff, teachers, super, like everyone, the people in the kitchen, Everyone is invited uh, throughout the year in different ways. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, that's for the students, but then like, you know, some really amazing events where we try to use this as a platform for pretty exciting stuff. We did a, a project with American Sun and we had uh, the, all the superintendents in the South Bronx and the principals 
come together ended up watching American Sun and then afterwards there was a talk back about race relations. Mm-hmm. And it's just powerful because they need to talk about it with their students. So right. it uses the platform for that. So that's really where we've been. Um, I, I'll take a beat, but I think that's really where we that's where we've been and kind of where we're going. Yeah, it's so admirable and it's so important. And I know there are other organizations that do similar things, but yeah. you know, I, I think that the fact that you guys are doing this and you have such an excellent track record here and and a, a mission. One of the other um, philanthropic things that Situation uh, does is the Ian Bennett um, Situation Cares Memorial Scholarship Fund. Yeah. Um, can you explain what that is? Yeah. So Ian Bennett was my first employee. He passed away um, unexpectedly. He was, I think he was 25. I mean, it was, dr- it was terrible. Oh. Uh, it was about, uh, I want to say t- over a decade ago. And uh, But since then, when he passed away, I talked to his parents, who I did had not met prior to this. I talked to his parents. I said, we're going to use the fundamental part of the company. I'll never forget him. And so we essentially marked out a day called Ian Bennett Day, where we shut the office down early and we tell everyone to go do something you love with someone you love. Very simple. And go spend time and take this, what was a dreadful day, and turn it into kind of a shining a, a shine of light on 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 the day in a really positive way for what the spirit of, of what he was about. He also, as part of that, we created a scholarship uh, for students in public schools in Orange and we were, he's from Orange County. That's where I spent some time mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, enabling kids to get a scholarship for artistic risk that, that's, that are taking some level of artistic risk to continue uh, an arts program. So we do, uh, you know, we do a lot. I do, a, I'm doing one right now with, we have a, a, pr- a separate scholarship at the University of Albany for people who take in their first step with social activism. Are they going to do something in their community? So we're very much like in camp situation, everything at the agency, I guess it summarizes it this way, do something. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Like as far as I'm concerned, if, if it feels the right thing and we've done, I'm very proud of my team. They just do it. And I feel like that's the one thing I've learned is like, it does, we went right into the, we work with, the, the, uh, you know, the, the New York City schools, everyone's like, oh, it's bureaucracy and this. And so when you go in and you begin talking with schools, look for people who need it, people who need help, they'll figure out a way to take the help because they need it. Thankfully, the administration there is awesome. And they say, we care. We need your help. Come help us. And so you can do amazing things. And you consistently sort of see this idea where people get frozen by the idea of bureaucracy and how am I going to get through it? Trust me, if someone needs it, they're going to find a way to, to accept your help. Yeah. And I love the idea of just, just do something, just fucking do something. Yeah. And I think people get, get paralyzed. Like, how am I going to do it? Is it the right way to do it? I think you're right. Just, just do it and you'll yeah. help, you'll help people. Yeah. Um, speaking of just doing things, um, you co-founded TEDx Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> so how did that come about? Uh, so, wow. So me and Jim McCarthy, we've been doing this for a long time. Ken uh, Davenport was with us in the very beginning, but Jim and I really, uh, have, have been focusing on this over the, this is our 10 year anniversary coming up. Yeah. Um, and over the 10 years, uh, I feel like it's been exciting. It's all framed on the idea of what's the best Broadway can be. And I feel like one thing we could give back and listen, kudos to everyone who's helped support in so many amazing ways, like the theater owners, like Everyone has came to the table, has come to the table to say, "How can we help you?" It's an event centered on what's the best Broadway can be, and and I and it's framed that way to be a positive force for moving forward, not a force for complaining about what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you ask someone what's the best something can be, it starts with a way of like optim, not just optimism, but like let's progress, let's make it happen. And so we've been doing. So this is now, yeah, year ten. We're gonna we're just starting planning for this coming year, which is gonna be we have to do something special. It's ten years. Um, and it's been amazing. And the voices, and what's amazing, very uncomfortable conversations on the stage, 
And again, to the credit of the theater, Schubert organization, the Nederlanders, Drew Jamson, but like, you know, the Schubert's uh, give, give New World Stage has been a great partner of ours. And people are up there saying some pretty harsh things about the industry. And I admire it. We have to hear it. We have to have those conversations and create space for that, that those types of conversations to be had. Um, I've asked every one of my guests, um, I only started this podcast a few months ago, but I've asked every guest, um, if you could wave a magic wand, what changes would you like to see on Broadway when it reopens after the pandemic? And I think that TEDx Broadway, just in the same spirit, is looking at what's the best Broadway can be. So I'm going to ask you that question, Damien, your opinion, or you know, a compilation of what your guests or your speakers on TEDx Broadway have said, you know, can you sort of summarize what you think would be the best of Broadway and how Broadway can be better when we come back? I've, I've very, I've had actually, it's, it, I don't even need a magic wand because I believe <laughs> this can happen. I really believe it can happen is that we are reflective of the communities we are trying to serve. And I believe we can get there. We have the inventory. We have the opportunity to reconnect with our local community. We've ditched the local community. It's like we've said goodbye to years ago because we've been focused on tourists. Mm. Now tourists aren't going. Here's our chance to reconnect. And so I think the magic, the thing I would say is the best we can be is being reflective of the communities we serve. And I'm speaking on behalf of the public schools I work with. We don't fund them. We don't support them. And just as a, as a city, now I'm not blaming Broadway, but here's our chance. It's like these kids deserve the same chance as everybody else does. We have the seats. The cast wants it. The company wants it. No one wants to be in those theaters. Post-pandemic, will we get there? No one wants to be in those theaters not performing and doing all this to be going, working around our community of people around us. So, I, And I think it's completely, not only just doable, it's going to have to happen if we're going to succeed. I believe so in the future. This has been a changing point for Broadway. Pretty passionate about it. And I know the Broadway League's doing some interesting things too, like exciting things, trying to really progress this conversation about how we kind of just diversifying at large the audience we're seeking, the way we're doing things. So I'm an optimist. So I don't think I need a mat. I think I think COVID might have been the magic wand um, through all the pain that it brought. But uh, for the more important, on the positive side, I think for the change it could bring. Yeah. Back in December, you were a featured guest lecturer at um, One Day University. Um, and you gave a talk on the arts after the pandemic, talking about the unexpected changes on the horizon, how patrons are going to engage and consume arts and theater and culture. Um, and I think a lot of that was um, looking at how that engagement will be changed now post-pandemic. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know your remarks at that event? Yeah, I just think, um, I think if we were smart, it, it, this is the opportunity. I think the opportunity is virtual connectivity is a, has a massive opportunity. And this is as much for Broadway as it is for performing arts and theaters across the country. The world has become more virtually centric. Therefore, we have the ability, uh, virtual uh, events centric, let's put it that, they will connect virtually. And I think that's giving us a massive gift. It is giving us a chance to broaden our stages as an industry. So instead of just the 1,500 people gathering into a theater at one moment in time, all of a sudden, if we go, well, wait a second, if we take this IP and this storytelling, by expanding our stages, we will be able to reach significantly more people. And the moment you expand your stages from going to the small number of stages we have, and now all of a sudden saying, well, with virtual, we can have double, triple, quadruple, 
tenfold the number of stages that we have. Now, all of a sudden, you could make room for other storytellers, which we have not done to date. So wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry to interrupt, but what do you yeah. mean when you say that going to virtual and, and expand the stages? Like, what do you literally mean? Meaning, uh, let's let's just take, a, I'll take a regional theater because it's just a very easy example. Mm -hmm. If I were to go to uh, Center Theater Group or something, because mm -hmm. like so Center Theater Group, they have a couple stages that we're accustomed to, whether it's Mark Taper Forum or something like that. My point is virtual stages sit right on top of them, which could mean a lot of different things. Virtual stages could be simply, I'm going to watch something from my home, mm -hmm. a show. It could be a live event. It could be a live theatrical experience. It could be a 15-minute audio-based thing. So my point is to say the virtual connectivity enables us to create more stages virtually, side-by-side -side the physical. Same would apply to an amazing organization like Roundabout or something like that. Right. By the way, that was my first Broadway experience in my life here in LA at Center Theater Group. Yep. Um, that was where I saw my first Broadway show. Oh, really? What show was it? Uh, Porgy and Bess. Nice. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. And I mean, that goes back to, you know, I did want to talk to you about this. You said you didn't grow up with theater um, in your life. Um, I, I did. I had a mom who felt that theater and all kinds of cultural experiences were important to my DNA, basically, and it became part of who I am and, and helped form me. Um, how did you grow up and, um, and how did you um, become... I don't want to say become so philanthropic, but how did you, like, were you raised with that? Or is that part of just who you are? Was it your no, family? No, I had a, my family, I had an awesome family and, you know, my, uh, it, we had a rough run. And so I didn't have, I just didn't have that. We didn't grow, I didn't grow with money, let's put it that way. And my family was a, a loving house. My family, like, and they, the thing they instilled in me is like anything is possible. And they always did the best for me. They tried to get me the good school district. They worked their butt off. But, you know, it was rough going. And so I didn't go see a show. I didn't get on a plane until I was like 18 or 19. Like I, I just, I just not was, I was not a cultured person. And as I get older and I just feel like, so that, that's really what drives a lot of my own passion for this. I'm like, I didn't get any of this benefit. The arts are like avocado for the soul. Mm -hmm. I didn't experience any of that. And then I get older, I'm like, oh my God. So for my own children, I try to give them access to it. And so that, that's really like, so my background is just like, I was always, I was working since I was like 13, 12 or 13. I sell bubble gum out of my locker. I DJed on when I was 15. I was a horrible student because I was just, I was not in a good place. Again, like I, I my loving family, I love my family, but like it was tough. It was tough going. I was the first person to graduate college in my family. Hmm. So I come at this from like my, and I don't, I feel like I'm lucky. I'm like, I'm extremely fortunate because the stats don't line up well for me. If I just look at me on my baseball card, for lack of a better word, like my, the stats from where I started to where I am, I'm lucky, right place, right time, a whole bunch of stuff working in my favor. So, um, but I, and I, it's not that I just, I don't feel the need to give back as much as like I can. So do it. And, and I know I can impact. I know, cause I know there's many people just like me. I know exactly where they sat. I go, I go back to my university every year for the past 12 years. I talked to graduating seniors, two groups of 300 students, 600 kids a semester, for two, so 1,200 students a year. I go and talk to them and I tell them exactly all the stuff I wish I knew. And I had no money. So I'm like, and I was teaching like, and my number one piece of advice I always give to people consistently is live below your means. It's the only piece of advice that matters if when you don't have money. Because if you live below your means, your path to get out. Without that, you don't have a chance. It's just, it's just true. It's the ultimate freedom. It's the ultimate freedom. And it, the system is not set up in a way to not have money. And, and, you know, in a way it, it, it makes it very difficult. And so I just, and so I don't know. So. Uh, no, that's very inspirational. Yeah. And, and I think also the idea, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast that, you know, if you don't have money, you can still give in other ways. You know, there's yeah. your, your blood, your sweat, your tears, your energy, your, your digital, you know, communications, yeah. right? 
Yeah, and there's people again who I the thing was most amazing to me is I grew up with, with a fair number of people who didn't have a lot of resources. And there's always people who had it worse than me. So, you know, but like uh, there are people who had less than me and they gave the most. Mm. That's the thing that's amazing to me. It does not like people's soul is not defined by their wallet. And it's just, it's, it's, and when you don't have, I, that's the thing of my own personal journey, just as growing up in this industry and I'm far more well off than where I was. You know what I mean? So it's just seeing the people in my life from where I am now to where I was and just kind of intersecting those worlds. Uh, people's philanthropic heart is not aligned by their wallet. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It's just, it's where, it's what you're, I don't know. It's how you, I don't know how to describe what your DNA is. I don't even know. You are such a good person. You're such an inspirational person. And I'm so glad we had this chance to talk. And I just want to say to everybody, do something. Just there do something. Thank you, Damien, for everything that you do. Oh, thank you, Jan. Thank you. No, I, I, you know, I've known you for a long time and I admire everything you're doing. And I really admire it, that you're doing this because I feel like, hey, it's an honor to be here. But I feel like I've listened to the other episodes and I, every time I listen to this podcast, I feel better after it. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank Lo you. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway Gives Back. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals with Brittany Bigelow and music by Eric Becker at Broderick Street Music. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, and friend, Jim Lochner, and to Katie and Yo at BPM, Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency, the Charity Network, and to my fiance, Glenn Weiss, who is always my consultant. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.